The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. To find out more about amazing Alberta-made podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. And the Alberta Podcast Network is also really excited to be partnering with Northwest Fest, Edmonton's international documentary festival. Northwest Fest runs May 2nd to 12th at Metro Cinema, and it features dozens of short and feature-length nonfiction films. Tickets and passes are available at northwestfest.ca. Use the discount code APN2019, that's APN2019, to get 10% off any general admission ticket except for opening night, which is already passed. Choose the shows you want to see at northwestfest.ca and then apply the discount code APN2019 at checkout. You won't want to miss their incredible film lineup. You can find out more at northwestfest.ca. I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Haspin. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on Sunday, May 5th, 2019, and we are joined by our handsome producer, Adam Rosenhart. Ooh, I get a handsome. Is this Cinco de Mayo? It is, and it's the day after May the 4th. It is, and also, yeah. isn't some famous communist birthday today, Dave? Oh yeah, Mister Mister Karl Marx. Yes, yes. Oh wow! So there's a lot of things happening. There's, there's a lot going on this Sunday. I learned a little bit about communism this week, actually. I don't know if any of you noticed the tweet, but yeah, uh, I just thought it was funny that there was a banner calling on the revolution, and um, it got a little bit of pickup. Didn't I tell you to stay off Twitter? You did, and that was actually one of the first times I went back on it. <laughs> well, happy International Workers' Day. It was May yes. Day, and that the yes. uh, the communists tend to show up at uh, at rallies on May Day. So, well, I saw as I was approaching, I saw a guy wearing like a like a leather jacket with the hammer and sickle on it, and I thought, like, what is this? And so I went around and I looked at the banner, and it was calling on revolution. But anyway, uh, happy May the fifth to everybody. Yeah, what are we talking about today, guys? So, uh, not a lot has gone on in Alberta <laughs> politics over the past couple of weeks. How long has it been since uh, we've done this? We recorded like last... Weeks or something? It r- feels right like... after the election, we recorded an episode. So, like, April 18th or 19th was That's when right. that episode came out. Yeah, yeah. And we've been away yeah. for a lot, for a lot well, of this time. So, right after the election, Dave fled town. Yes, I the was next li- morning. I was literally on a <laughs> on a plane out of the country on on the morning after the election. Like there was a coup and you had to get yeah, out. Yeah, I was I was I was uh, you know some people say you know you know my candidate lost then I'm I'm leaving the country. Well, I actually left the country. Uh, no, it was a long planned uh, it was a long planned trip and I actually was really nervous when it was getting up to the point where uh, the election was going to be called because I was thinking what if I'm going to be gone when the on election day and it turned out that the election day was just called. On the day before I left, so thank you, Rachel Notley. And you were, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) One last thing, Notley. (laughs) How did election night go with Natalie and Dave uh, Kleimanhag? It was fun. Yeah, Yeah. on uh, on election night, we I hosted a panel at the Garneau Theater. Uh, Thanks to everybody who came out. We had uh, had uh, had some great questions from uh, from the crowd and and yeah, that was actually really awesome. I was there. It was it was cool. How was the mood? Um, You know, the the Strathcona crowd is is as left as you might expect. So I don't think. It wasn't like there wasn't anger or anything. No, it was. It was just like, oh yeah, this is what happened. This is what the polls said would happen. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what was there? Was there much surprise in the room? I don't day? think there was much surprise. Maybe some, in, maybe surprise in some individuals' results, like yeah. some riding level results. But I don't think anybody was shocked that the UCP won. Right. Um, I mean, did Natalie play the Imperial Death March when she <laughs> left? 
No. Yeah, it, you know the Darth Vader sound? It actually always plays whenever she walks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love Natalie. No, Natalie's She great. did a really great job, actually. She did. Holding the line against these two lefties. These two yeah, communists. myself and Kleiman Hagen. Yeah. Yeah. The was, Dave uh, and Dave. It was wonderful, and I'm glad they could. I'm glad they could join us. And yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks to Metro Cinema for having us. It was fun. Cool. Well, I'm sorry I missed it. I was in a big conference room where some guy drove up in a blue truck. And how were the balloons? I heard there were red balloons falling from the ceiling. Well, there was. Uh, I'm trying to think of the colors. I feel like they were red, white, and blue, or at least not just red. Like mostly blue, but then like a little bit of. Maybe it was mostly blue and white. You know what? That's a funny thing. You know those tests where they say, like, can you describe the chair in the other room and you can't remember the color at all? It's like one of those. The balloons were, um, <laughs> it only kind of worked. They R- R- Ryan was at the UCP party. For oh, right. Years. I guess. Yeah. yeah. In Calgary. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they dropped balloons and then some sort of guns fired ticker tape into the air. Oh, neat. So those things were dangling. I love ticker tape. We need it more on this show, actually. <laughs> It's a very visual medium podcasting. And then he, uh, the premier, like drove his truck in. Like into the building. Yeah, right in, pulled up behind the stanchion where the crowd was and hopped out. Huh. And actually they had an amazing, um, like probably 50 foot screen behind the backdrop, behind where the, the podium, and it was really high resolution. So they would, they had like probably nine different news feeds going on up oh, there. Oh, yeah, I actually it saw it. Wow. Yeah. In some of the uh, the TV footage of people doing live hits from it, it looked really... It was, it, it was an impressive room. It was, well, it was the, four, the Four Seasons or The Four Horsemen or something like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's on the Stampede Grounds at it the BMO Center. It would have been fitting yeah. as The Four <laughs> Horsemen. <laughs> the apocalypse is <laughs> the coming. The blue horse. It is here. <laughs> um, Dave and I actually, after, after Garneau, we wound up at the same place. We both wound up at the NDP event. Yep. At the Edmonton Convention Center. Oh, yeah. And I was actually surprised. Like, it was a very, like, the energy in the room was good. Yeah, it was the most upbeat, like, defeat, election defeat night party I've ever been to. Well, it was a unique one, right? Everyone yeah. around here won their seat, essentially. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it was, I mean, people were disapp- obviously disappointed that the NDP didn't form government. But, I mean, I don't, I don't really think it was a surprise to many people in the room. Um, but, yeah, it was... It was a pretty upbeat crowd. Um, oh. Ra- Rachel Notley got a lot of love when she went up on stage. They her know, remarks were fantastic. Oh, she gave a fantastic speech. It was really, I mean, she's a good, she's she's a good orator. Uh, you know, a fantastic or- orator. Um, so she gave a good speech and rallied the crowd. And and uh, yeah. Now, Leanne and I also went away the day after the election. <laughs> we went down to Lethbridge, which actually, so Leanne loves Lethbridge, and I went along with it. We drive down. <laughs> Lethbridge is great. What oh, are you talking about? It's super nice. Gr- I, love, I love Lethbridge, And too. we took the back road down, so we went kind of, uh, I forget which highway, but... Like, the, not the cowboy trail, but no, not, not highway side. two. No. Uh, we went down, like, not right through Drumheller, but around that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a really nice oh, drive. Oh, the drive is unreal. And then at one point, we drove out to Writing on Stone. Oh, that's great. So fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. And our hotel had a two water slides and a wave pool, so Perfect. the boys were pumped. And wow. That's where I was recording from. Although I had to get in. I think I said this on the pod. I had to get in my car. I could hear. I think so I could windy. hear traffic like yeah. whizzing by. No, it was yeah. fine. It but was the good. whole thing about Lethbridge is windy. Like it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes. So yeah. maybe we should uh, get back to our script. Yeah, for sure. Well, welcome back to the studio, guys. Dave, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, Jason Kenney was sworn in as the 18th Premier of Alberta last week, uh, and his cabinet was appointed shortly afterwards. So we'll talk a bit about the cabinet appointments, who's in, who's out, uh, who we're surprised is in, who we're surprised is out. 
Um, Kenny's first few days in office were a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, basically, as soon as he got sworn in, he was jetting off to Ontario to speak against Bill C-69 to a Senate committee. He met with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, he met with opposition leader Andrew Scheer, uh, and then later with Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Um, so yeah, we'll talk a bit about that, and we'll answer some listener questions uh, from our mailbag. And thanks, everybody, who sent in questions. We had quite, yeah. quite a bit of questions this week. It's going to be good. Yeah. But first, we have a special announcement uh, about the future of this podcast. And it doesn't involve Dave or I, so Ryan has the mic. Tell everyone what's going on, dude. All right. Well, um, gentlemen and audience, I guess this is the time that I have some news to share. And I actually wrote this down because uh, it won't necessarily be super easy to get through, but we'll, we'll get through it. So I guess getting right to the bottom line, uh, last week I accepted a role as the chief of staff to the new minister of community and social services. Wow. Congratulations, Congratulations, Thank Ryan. you. The Honorable Rajan Sani. She is the Calgary Northeast MLA, and she was elected on April 16th. So it's funny how life works out sometimes. Both funny, like funny and funny strange. <laughs> and uh, this one is a little bit of both. Uh Thanks for indulging me for a couple minutes here. I just want to, you know, I, I have a few things I just want to say to you guys and to the audience. So since late of, late 2012, I've been working at the University of Alberta, which is my alma mater and Alberta's flagship university. Much to the chagrin of the city of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been in a role that I love. But this spring, my journey at the U of A came to a fork in the road, and I ultimately decided to move on. Uh, I had no intention of rejoining the political world as a staffer. In fact, I would often tell people that that's not in the cards for me. But life is, tends to intervene and change our plans. So it's no secret to this pod that I'm a supporter of the United Conservative Party and Alberta's new premier, Jason Kenney, and the opportunity to work for this new government was too intriguing to pass on. I'm excited about my new role, but the one downside is that being the co-host of a podcast on the topic of Alberta politics while also working in Alberta politics isn't possible. And so this will be my last episode as the co-host of the Dave Berta podcast. So I want to take a couple minutes while I still hold this microphone and do a couple thank yous. So first of all, Dave, thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me to be part of this wonderful project, for lending me your platform and making it possible to have a, for us to have this dialogue. You've become a close friend of mine, Dave, and someone I admire for your commitment to our community and our politics uh, you are fair, and you're decent, and you're kind. And while we may never be on the same uh, political campaign, give me a second here, sorry. It would be my pleasure to stand with you, Dave, in any campaign in the future or just about anything else. Um, Adam, thank you so much for making all this work. More than I even know, your commitment and your diligence behind the scenes is what makes this crazy show possible. And you're one of the kindest, hardest working, and smart friends that I have. You work for hard, behind the scenes, for no money and little thanks. So thank you. I will truly miss meeting up with you guys every two weeks to do this show. It's been one of the highlights of the last few years of my life and super fun. Um, honestly, as I took the role, knowing I'd have to do this made it, made it a little bit tougher, for sure. But most of all, I want to thank you all out there, the audience. Thank you for humoring me, for downloading the show, and for listening to it. Providing feedback and questions, comments, concerns, hot takes. Thanks for being passionate Albertans and nerdy enough to listen to our podcast about politics every other week. I'm so encouraged that we have a strong, passionate group of citizens here in Edmonton and Alberta 
who care about our community and our government. So my request for all of you out there is to lean in, to keep caring, keep demanding better, don't let up, stay engaged, remember that politics is for everyone, and it's all of our jobs. And so while I'm leaving my role on this show, I'm not really going anywhere, so please stay in touch. Yeah, we will for sure, man. Thank you so much. That was very nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Ryan. Um, it's been a, a real sincere pleasure to uh, to do this to do this podcast with you to have you on with uh, with Adam and I um, with your you know your your thoughtful commentary your experiences that you've shared with us your knowledge about politics conservative politics and, and bringing the conser- you know conservative a thoughtful conservative perspective to this podcast we really uh, yeah it's been really great and uh, sorry to see it sorry to sorry to lose you as a co-host but you know good luck we wish you good luck with your new uh, your new endeavors at the legislature. I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure it'll be a wild ride for the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Based on the first two days, I think that's a fair assessment. Well, they're, they're lucky to have you. <laughs> it's funny, this this whole thing started probably two blocks away from the legislature. We were at yeah. District Cafe. Mm-hmm. Dave and Ryan were like, we want to make a podcast. We don't know how. <laughs> and it Still was, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually like, it wasn't a very long conversation. Because I had been bugging Dave to do this for a while. Mm-hmm. He's like, we want to make a podcast. And I was like, I'm in. When, yep, right. when, when do we start? And then we were like, okay, phew. Well, now we can think about the easy part. Yeah. yeah. The talking part. The format. So yeah. this, are we at episode 35 today? This is 36. 36. 36. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It yeah. is. And has it been, how, how many, has it been one and some or two years? We started uh, around October. 20. Like, like 14 months ago or yeah. 2018. Yeah. 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 October, November. Or tw- 2017. 2017. Yeah. So it, it hasn't quite been two years yet. Yeah. About a year and a half, I guess. Man. Or, yeah. Every wow. two weeks for t- a year and a half, we've yeah. been hanging out together. That's and, wild. And constantly texting and sh- bouncing ideas back and forth. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've I've really appreciated having a thoughtful perspective behind the curtain on the, you know, quote, other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Me that, too. Yeah. I do think that it's something that politics here lacks. And... Um, Hopefully you can keep it going somehow in the show, and I'm sure that the audience will enjoy shows moving forward. And I know I'll be tuning in and listening on my way into work. So I expect and to get texts from Ryan being like, "What the what oh, the yeah. f are you guys talking about?" <laughs> Definitely, I'm gonna be like, "Why did you BS. replace me with a Marxist?" <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna come on under disguise sometimes, you know, Brian Hartman or something. We'll like, we'll like uh, we'll <laughs> we'll disguise your voice in post. Can you auto tune me? I think probably I'll learn how to do that. <laughs> that sounds that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. So to finish this episode, I'm going to um, probably play a different role here than I normally would. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as a employee of the government, my role changed a little bit. So I will be the one asking the questions here, and gentlemen, and trying to guide your conversations because you know we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, the election was 18 days ago. Yeah, around that. Yeah, it's uh, it feels like it's been a long time. So how are you guys feeling? I, I mean, I was unsurprised at, at the outcome. I was disappointed, but I wasn't surprised. Um, my hope is that with a with a sizable opposition that Rachel Notley um, leading the NDP will hold the UCP to account and, and try and get you guys to move on some stuff. I think it'll be really interesting, but... Um, you know, I'm, I still have the same anxieties as some of the other voters about the education system and 
LGBTQ issues and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm nervous, but uh, unsurprised at the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 as we've said before, I mean, we've talked about this podcast for for months. It, the UCP forming government, winning the election, forming government wasn't really a surprise. We kind of expected that would happen. Um, now it's it's looking at what part of their agenda is the UCP going to implement? Uh, how fast are they going to implement their their, their agenda? Um, I've been pouring over for the past week the UCP's platform, all you know, three thousand seven hundred and fifty pages of it. <laughs> um, I think I've I think I've identified twenty pieces of legislation that they promised to around around twenty pieces of legislation that they promised to either implement or or introduce or amend. So if they plan to do that all in their first session, in the summer session, I don't know how much they're actually going to, how much of that they're going to do in the in the summer session. But um, there, there's kind of a clear legislative agenda that they've already set out. So looking ahead to the legislative session, which is coming up on May 21st, it's, I suppose there'll be a speech from the throne, uh, and then the session will start quickly after that. Um, that kind of gives me an idea of what what the legislative agenda might look like beyond the first three or three or four bills they've identified that that are going to be impl- going to be implemented the repeal the carbon tax bill the cut the corporate income tax our corporate income tax to eight percent bill uh, the, we're calling it the alberta's open for business yeah 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 okay uh <laughs> Sorry, and, i shouldn't say no, no 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 uh feel free to interject uh and uh the uh the farm uh repeal bill six the farm freedom act is what they're calling it and i think there was another bill that that was they said they were going to introduce right away um but there's quite a bit in that platform, if you're trying to, you know, to, if you're trying to look at what the UCP is is going to do, um, so that that's kind of what I what I'm looking looking to in 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 the summer because it's going to be coming pretty quick. We're going to have a legislative session. Um, they're supposedly going to repeal a whole bunch of stuff the NDP is going to do or has done over the past four years. But we'll see what exactly that is because mm-hmm. some of it isn't totally clear within the within the platform. I you know it's interesting when the NDP won government four years ago. I remember as they started doing their legislative sessions being astonished at how much stuff they were trying to get through. Yeah. But it occurred to me just in this moment, is that normal for governments and just unusual in Alberta because we had this 44-year dynasty of plotting? One piece of insight I can share with you is that, sorry, I should have had this ready. As of today, there are, 1,458 days of session left in this government. So the point is it goes Sorry, quick. one of session. Of planned session? Briefing time, government time. Hmm. Okay. I should maybe be more precise. But there's 1,458 days to basically um, deliver on their mandate. So time is ticking. You know, when you get elected, the first thing apparently they're telling, they tell you is, you may think four years is a long time, but it's not. Yeah, no, four year four years goes by really goes by quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe, um, maybe. And in terms of the 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 life of a government, um, you know, traditionally the first year and a bit is when you really implement your yeah. activist. You're really your it's your activist phase. You're implementing your, your you're implementing legislation. You're you're being more activist, and then you move more into the more of the implementation government phase, and then you're basically into re-election mode almost immediately right after that. So it's this. It, it does go by it does go by pretty quick but I do expect that the UCP will move pretty quickly on a lot of this legislation that they've promised during the election whether it's this session in the summer or it's the session presumably coming up in the fall mm-hmm. um, I think that'll it'll move at pretty breakneck speed and and I think some of it will be pretty um, 
pretty radical conservative from my perspective. And you can see that laid out. I mean, the, the platform was pretty clear in terms of some of the stuff they were doing, especially around education. I mean, we talked about we mm -hmm. talked about the Education Act, GSAs. That will be a big thing we're going to probably talk about this summer, undoubtedly. Um, so we'll see. So were there any local races that surprised you in the end? I, I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that uh, Mandel didn't do better. Stephen Mandel and Edmonton McClung. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, I, what, do you remember what the breakout was of the votes? It's like the 6%. Percentage? Yeah, it was really low. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Lauren, in the breakout in, in Edmonton McClung was, I think Lauren Dock, the NDP MLA incumbent, got around 40%. The UCP got some in the 30% range, Lori Moseson, and then Mandel was down around 20%. Given all of the talk about the Alberta party that yeah. certainly we have been, are, are guilty of engaging in, and their activity, and they... They had a big footprint, uh, in my opinion, anyway, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they weren't really able to do very much with it. Yeah, well, the, th the thing is they increased their popular vote from like 1% or 2% all the way up to 9%, but then they lost their three seats. And they lost the only seat that they actually were they actually won in the last election. Mm -hmm. And Elbow was not that close in the end. No, it didn't end up being. Yeah, Doug Schweitzer ended up defeating Greg Clark by, what, two or 3,000 votes. It was yeah. a sizable margin. Um, and David Kahn is the liberals are off. They're gone. They're done. Oh yeah, David Kahn got absolutely demolished in Calgary Mountain View. Got yeah. about five percent of the vote. Um, Kathleen Ganley won. I think she got about forty-seven or forty-nine percent of the vote in Mountain View. She carried it. Um, so despite having a seat at the, uh, a podium at the leaders' debate, uh, and you know, and having, the best line of the leaders' and the, debate, and the best line uh, didn't really do David Kahn much good. Is the Liberal Party is? I think they got less than one percent of the vote in the in the election. They're they're done at this point. So, uh, do you foresee a unite the left movement? Hey, I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> do you foresee a unite the left movement? Is there a left party in Alberta? Is there a left party left? No, no, no. I'm asking the questions here today. I can't, okay. I can't give the answers. What, what? I ask you guys that. I mean, what happens? To, I, so you've got the Liberals, the Freedom Party, the Freedom Conservative Party, the Alberta Party, and then your Democrats and the Greens. Yeah. Well, is that the roster of parties that will be on the ballot in 2023? Well, uh, the Alberta Party, I think, will be around um, in whatever form. I think they... they they'll continue? They'll, I think they'll continue. I don't know what exactly they'll look like. The Liberals will be around on paper, I think. Um, at this point, I think they've ceased to be a, a real, a real viable political force in this province on the provincial level. Well, and they, they've got the halo effect of the federal liberals yeah. hanging over them like a sword of Damocles. Yes. And how's that going to go in October? Well, oh, yeah. That's for another pod. Yeah. Um, I'll come back for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the Freedom Conservatives, well, Derek Filterbrandt has, has announced he's stepping down as a leader. I heard they were supposed to have a, uh, the, the party was supposed to have a b board meeting yesterday. Uh, and I haven't heard the results of that, but they were they said they were gonna find an interim leader. So Derek said he's done with this bullshit and he's That's that's what it was, yeah. That's his, what his line was so yeah. like Der so Derek. Derek. Yeah, and he got absolutely crushed in his riding. I think he got about seven percent of the vote. He was sixty one points behind Leela here. He was Minister here, actually. Yeah, minister here now. <laughs> and he was I think he was even like eight or nine points behind the new Democrat in uh, in Chestermere Strathmore. So he got absolutely pummeled. I'd leave politics too. I'd yeah. say it was bullshit too if I yeah. got my ass handed to me like that. So, you know, I think I think that you know, I think the Greens will be around. I think the Liberals will be around on paper. They'll run a handful of candidates maybe. Um 
the Alberta party, well, you know, we'll see. I think they'll probably be around. Um, but, you know, they've reinvented themselves so many times over the past couple of years. I don't think Ms. Stephen Mandel will be the leader running in the next election. And I doubt that you'll see like a significant Unite the Left movement. I, the NDP are the left. I Quote mean, unquote. Adam's using air quotes. Dep- yeah. Depending on how you look at it, like they're the left leaning party. Um, and what it, what's in it for them to unite with the liberals and the Alberta party? Yeah, like, there's I, just yeah. I think we had a question in in the mailbag about the Alberta party and the liberals uniting, and my answer is or merging. And I said, what's to merge? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the what in in terms of a merger, you have to have two groups or more one more than one group. People have to be bringing stuff but, to the table. Yeah, and I just I don't see the liberals bringing stuff, anything to the table at this yeah. point. That was a question from Mike Bayrack. Um, I don't, yeah, there's no, there's no merger. Yeah. But it's, it'll be interesting to see how the liberals and the Alberta party try to position themselves um, as viable political parties leading up to the next election in four years. Yeah. If, and it, if they're able to make a, make a dent. Yeah. What I find, what I found totally bizarre about the Alberta party in this past election is even though they were led by a former conservative MLA and conservative cabinet minister. They'd recruited a number of former progressive conservative candidates and progressive conservative MLAs to run as their candidates. Uh, they were so reluctant to call themselves conservative or identify themselves as conservatives, which is like a selling point in Alberta. It's, yeah. like, a, it's like it's it's not a negative. I mean, they could have, they, you know, they, they, they tried to position themselves as moderate conservatives without calling themselves conservatives. But you, I, they they have this conceit that they're the only party in existence who can campaign from the center and govern from the center. And it just, especially politics today are so polarized, left and right. How could the Alberta party say, yeah, we like some of this stuff. It it just, just the nuance doesn't cut through in a campaign to me. Yeah. I just don't see how. Campaigning as a centrist, like as just not, 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 not like campaigning on centrist policies, but campaigning as like, I'm a centrist vote for me. It's like, it's not a compelling like arguments. I remember though, like maybe a decade ago on an old podcast I used to do, I had uh, Duncan Voitasek and you on. Yes. And we were talking about post-partisan politics. Yes. What a, what a joke that was. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Plato was talking about (laughs) post-partisan politics. So we've been wrong for millennia. I think it was Duncan and I talking about how jaded we were with, uh, with partisan politics. Which probably we still are. I, I think I'm actually probably for more, more jaded with party politics at this point. <laughs> yeah. one of that's th- my personal journey. <laughs> one of the things we should talk about was the turnout. Um, yeah. They actually revised it down a little bit, yep. but it was still very high. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, they announced that when they announced the unofficial results, they announced that the turnout was 71%, which was wild because I think that would have been the highest in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, when they two weeks or 10 days later when they released the official results and they'd done all the all the recounting and tabulated all the numbers they announced it was just a little bit lower 64 percent yeah which was i think the highest since the early 80s since 1982 yeah which is that's great so i mean the turnout the turnout uh, i haven't had a chance to look well i actually have had a chance to look um at that the writings where the high the turnout was the highest and the turnout was the lowest the highest turnout was grand prairie no grand prairie wapiti 80 percent. The highest turnout was yeah. Grand Prairie Wapiti. Grand Prairie Wapiti, eighty percent turnout. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, you... isn't that? Cr- I mean, good for Grand Prairie Wapiti, but eighty percent—that's huge turnout. Um, a lot I of a lot of oil field work up there, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, the yeah, there's because there's Grand Grand Prairie, which is like the urban riding the city, and then there's Grand Prairie Wapiti, which is takes part of the city, and then the old well, the old Grand Prairie Wapiti riding the the, the, the rural area. 
uh, to the <coughs> west of Grand Prairie and like the north. Uh, I, I think it includes like Beaver Lodge in that er- that kind of area. I yeah. think. Um, like Manning, or is that too far away? No, Manning's too. I think Manning's in in the next riding over, oh, okay. but it's all the same geographic area. Like yeah. they're they're. Yeah. We're gonna get emails from people. <laughs> from Manning here say no we're nowhere near any Do you think this. we have a large audience in Manning? I don't know. If you're <laughs> listening from Manning, Alberta, uh, which was named after Ernest Manning oh, yeah. of Alberta, um, please uh, send us an email and uh, tell us are you anywhere near Beaver Lodge? <laughs> I've been in Manning <laughs> once and it was for an uh, an AER consultation. I was a facilitator. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Were was they in favor of uh, energy development? It, I mean, you know, for that particular issue it really depended on the community because there were a lot of um, problems with uh, health and off-gassing mm. around that time, and that was when uh, Allison Redford was premier. Oh, I, it was it was actually a really fun work trip. I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of Albertans. It was really interesting. Very anyway, cool. That was my one and only time in Manning. So I will ask you guys uh, a question, and I'll sit back and listen. It's like I'm on a radio show. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> what do you see uh, in Rachel Notley's future? Well, I think short term, she'll I mean, she'll stay as leader of the official opposition, uh, leader of the NDP, I think until at least, an, I mean, going into this into this summer session, which starts in a few weeks. Um, I think that I, th- I think, well, I think there's to I me, mean, there's a number of things she could do. I think that I think there's a clear argument for Rachel Notley to stay on as leader of the official opposition and leader of the NDP, even until the next election and lead her party into the next election. She is the new Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. She's their strongest asset. Uh, the NDP got 34% of the vote in the provincial election. If you were to ask the 34% of Albertans who voted NDP why they voted NDP or what their motivating factor was, I'm sure Rachel Notley would be very close, if not off the top of the list, but very close to the top of the list. Um, the question is now, the, the question would be if she left, what what is the NDP without Rachel Notley? Um, she has over a four-year, well, five years as leader, four years in government, um, she turned them into essentially a, a centerish, center-leftish government. They're essentially a liberal, acted like a liberal government. Was that governing, though? That was governing, yeah. I mean... Well, and that's the question of how do they act. They act that's how they acted in government. Well, how tough. do they act in opposition? And that's going to be very interesting to see um, how they... I mean, they're going to have no problem distinguishing themselves from the UCP because they ran... They're, they're a different party. They ran on different platforms... Um, some people have asked me, have you know, are there any historical examples of what happens to you know what happens to opposition parties? Um, we've only had a few changes of government in this province, and usually those parties just disappear. But but I think the end with the NDP, it's a different situation because previously those parties were lo- in government for a long time, and they became very institutional parties. They weren't really. They weren't, the Social Credit Party wasn't really a political party when it was defeated. You could even say the same with the Progressive Conservatives when they were defeated. They were like a natural governing entity. They were like an amorphous blob. And replaced by parties of the similar bent. Yeah. Or degree, like a few degrees away, not yeah. the other side of the coin. Yeah. So some so some people have, and you, when you look at the results, the results of this election kind of mirror a bit how the liberals did in like in terms of the geographical regional results. Um the the NDP results mirror a bit how the Liberal Party did after the nineteen in the nineteen ninety seven election, and some people have asked, well, you know, how did the what how, what did the Liberals do basically for them to fall apart to go from thirty two seats and forming the official opposition and almost forming government in nineteen ninety three to fall you know form losing ground and basically falling apart to the point they are now? I think the difference between 
that case and this case in Alberta politics now? Well, the first difference is, is that the Liberals didn't form government. So the NDP have been in government and they have people in their benches who are who have cabinet experience, who have, uh, have experience in government. Um, I think nine out of the 24 NDP MLAs are former cabinet ministers. But another big difference is in 1993, the Liberals under Lawrence Decor and the Conservatives under Ralph Klein kind of ran on a very on very similar platforms in terms of cutting government deficits, cutting the budget. You don't have that situation now. So in the 90s, the Liberals had to reinvent themselves after they were defeated by Klein, and they tried to invent themselves in this kind of center-leftish party after when Grant Notley took over, or pardon me, Grant Notley, Grant Mitchell took over. Um, the NDP don't really have the same situation because they ran on a clearly different platform than the UCP aside from pipelines which they'll be you know basically I think I think at least under Rachel Notley I think they'll be a uniform uh, with at least for the first few years of, of this mandate um, uh, but I think the NDP I mean they have their own they have their own history they have their own different party policies so in terms of distinguishing themselves it'll be but but trying to create uh, you know an opposition message that they can sell to the public uh, that's viable will be interesting and whether because I think there will be competing forces within the NDP pulling trying to pull the party more to the left mm-hmm. um, when they were essentially elect, elected these 24 MLAs were essentially elected on a very centrist platform yeah which will I, be interesting I think it's a, it's a challenge internally for the NDP she's young she's 55 years mm-hmm. old um, and she you know she's got experience working as a as a lawyer um, not I don't think like a practicing attorney or anything like that I don't, you'd know better than I would Dave uh, I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if she actually worked as a practicing attorney. I know she worked in. She worked for. She worked for United Nurses of Alberta. She worked for. The, I think the Health Sciences Association in British Columbia. Yeah, I. I feel like she kind of gets to write her own ticket. I. Mm-hmm. I would imagine she hasn't made any decisions, or at least hasn't publicly declared them. She's got kids who are older. They're either finished high school or or finishing high school, I believe. Like, she kind of gets to. She she gets to pick. And so what I think is going to happen is she'll stick around for a little while. And it depends on the way the, the wind is blowing mm-hmm. as we, you know, get two years out and 18 months out of the next election. Um, you know, if she's feeling like she's the person who can who can help really uh, campaign and lead the NDP in that election, then I think she'll stick around. But if it's if it doesn't feel right for her, mm-hmm. um, I have to I have to assume she's working with some of her other opposition colleagues on trying to figure out, you know, what does what the line of succession look like here? Mm-hmm. But I don't think she leaves right away. Yeah. I'd be surprised if she left in 12 months. Yeah. I hope she stays. Yeah. Because I agree with you. I think she is the NDP. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see when they announce their, I think NDP MLAs are being sworn in next week. So they'll announce their critic lineup mm-hmm. around that time, I think, now that the UCP has announced their, their cabinet. Do you think those, I'm going to ask a question, Ryan, do you think those align, will align with the work that those previous members have done, like Dave Egan on education and I so ho- on? I, I don't think so. No? I, and I hope not. I think it's it's uh, it would be smart to put those form because there are so many cabinet ministers, former cabinet ministers in the NDP caucus. I think it, I mean, those people will likely make up the front benches of their opposition, but I think it would be, it's very important that they get moved to other role, other critic roles because I think it's it's they're too close to them. It's yeah. too, number, number one, it's too personal because it's what they've been working on for four years. Yeah. Um, but also... Uh, it opens them up to criticism because they're basically criticizing their own work in in some some instances. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, and that's just. I mean, this is that's kind of the this is this is new ish for Alberta politics, but this is the 
that this is the norm in other in other provinces where they change governments for more than that. Uh, Nothing in Alberta politics is normal. No. <laughs> well, not lately, that's for yeah. sure. So uh, we said, <clears throat> we previously said that Jason Kenney has now been sworn in as the 18th Premier of Alberta. Do you gentlemen have any thoughts on the cabinet, um, surprises, things that you think will be good, things that you are concerned about? Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, well, I mean, so 23 cabinet ministers. Including the Premier. Including the Premier. Um, the first thing, I mean, looking at the list of, of cabinet, first of all, looking at the full cabinet, uh, there's not too many people in there. The core of the cabinet is really who I think a lot of people were predicting it would be. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of huge shocking surprises of people who are in the cabinet. There are a few few that are you know may have may or may not have been on the list in terms of like the lower minute lower cabinet ministries. But overall, when I looked at the at the list of UCP MLAs who were elected on April 17th, this is kind of who I thought would probably make up the core of the cabinet. Um, first of all, there's some interesting things. The 13 out of 23 who are from Calgary. So this is a very Calgary-heavy cabinet. Um, when 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 looking at, like, it's interesting when you look at the, ge- the geography. Um, it is Calgary-heavy. Um, rural Alberta overwhelmingly voted for the UCP, but was only, wasn't left with a huge majority in the cabinet. But there are two notab- notable, very prominent cabinet ministers from rural Alberta in the cabinet. So while 13 to 23 cabinet ministers are from Calgary, Grand Prairie Wapiti MLA, and we talked about the high voter turnout in Grand Prairie Wapiti, Travis Taves is the minister of finance, which, which surprised me. I'm not surprised that Travis Taves is in cabinet, but that he was appointed minister of finance, I think was a surprise for a lot of people because that is probably the most, one of the most prominent roles and important roles in a cabinet. Um, he's also the only cabinet minister from Northern Alberta. Um, and actually, I think this is the first time that the the first time that the finance minister or that the treasurer is from a northern Alberta riding in the history of Alberta. I oh, tried, interesting. I looked, I looked it up. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Are so, they typically like? Is it kind of all over the place, or do they typically live in the cities? It they can be from rural areas or or from the cities. Typically, well, no, from the rural areas or the cities. But this is the first time that there's been someone from from northern Alberta who's been mm. appointed as finance minister, which I thought was interesting. Um, so he makes up the the contingent in cabinet from Northern Alberta, and it, so it'll be interesting to see what the what other positions those Northern Alberta MLAs are given when the legislature sits, whether it's committee chairships or um, or other kind of positions or appointments. Um, I know that there was some disappointment in terms of of that regional the regional representation from from Northern Alberta. Uh, the other prominent rural Alberta cabinet minister is Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry MLA Jason Nixon who's the Minister of Environment and Parks, and he'll play a big role. Jason Kenney and the UCP have campaigned on dismantling the Climate Leadership Plan, on dis- on, on campaigning against the carbon tax, dismantling energy efficiency Alberta. Um, those bills all fall under the Minister of Environment, Environment and Parks. So I expect Jason Nixon to pl- play a prominent role in that. Central Alberta has two heavy hitters, with Devin Dreesen as the Minister of Agriculture and Forestry. And he's from Innisfail, Sylvan Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Minister of Education is from Red Deer. That's Adriana Lagrange. Right. So those are two pretty pretty heavy hitters right from the Red Deer area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't count Red Deer, I wouldn't count Minister Lagrange as as, rur- as a rural representative because it, it is Red Deer North. Um, not too surprised to see Devin, Devin Dreeshen in cabinet. Not surprised that the Minister of Agriculture and Forestry is from from a rural riding. I don't think I'm not sure if there's ever been a. I'll have to look this up. I'm not sure if there's ever been an agriculture minister from an urban riding. Um, Edmonton, 
which only elected one UCP MLA, Casey Madhu, uh, ended up with one cabinet minister, Edmonton proper. Casey Madhu is now the Minister of Municipal Affairs. Um, he's a brand new MLA, Edmonton Southwest. Um, and he's also joined by two uh, two cabinet, well, one cabinet minister and one associate cabinet a cabinet minister from the Edmonton area, Nate Glubish, who was appointed as Minister of Service, Alberta. And a faithful listener of the podcast. So congratulations, Minister Glubish. It Congra- gives me great pleasure to say that. C- congratulations. And uh, and Associate Minister of Natural Gas, uh, Dale Nally from Warrenville, St. Albert. Now, I was preparing to make all these jokes <laughs> about, you know, the, the opposition. It sets up the opposition jokes, you know, something stinks, something stinks, Mr. Speaker. And then Adam reminded me in a text message that natural gas is odorless <laughs> and that I was thinking of sour gas. So, but there's still jokes you could play. I'm, I still expect to hear that. I used to uh, work for a natural gas company, so I know probably disproportionately <laughs> more about natural gas than most you people. You just suck the fun out of everything. <laughs> So, uh, so that's that's the representation from the Edmonton area. I'm a little surprised that there weren't uh, more prominent cabinet roles given to the Edmonton area MLAs. Um, municipal affairs is kind of a mid mid level cabinet position, at least traditionally it's been. Um, Service Alberta certainly a junior cabinet position, um, and then an associate minister. Well, that's I think by by definition a, a junior position. I was I was surprised that. The Edmonton area MLA, especially someone like Cyril Turton from Spruce Grove Sherwood Park, wasn't given a, uh, an actual ministry. Um, I know in the past, when the tor- under the Klein Tories, when the Liberals would win examples, when the Liberals would win most of the seats in Edmonton, you had, for example, someone like Dave Hancock, who would be one or two of the only Tory MLAs elected in Edmonton, was given in 1997 given Justice and Attorney General. So I was surprised that there weren't more prominent roles given to to Edmonton area MLAs. Missing from the cabinet, and this is something that's very interesting when you're looking at the list, is if you were an incumbent UCP MLA going into this election, your chances of being appointed to the cabinet were probably lower than uh, than one of the new, uh, new UCP MLAs elected in April. Uh, this cabinet is made up of, of many new MLAs, uh, but who is missing is very interesting. Cypress Medicine had MLA Drew Barnes, who was the UCP finance critic. Uh, and I think he was, was he chair of the Public Accounts Committee as well? I think he might have been, but he's totally left out of cabinet. Um, he spoke to the Medicine Hat News, and I think he said he was offered a position, but he declined because he wasn't uh, wasn't into it. Uh, Calgary Fish Creek MLA, Richard Godfrey, Calgary West MLA, Mike Ellis, uh, Fort McMurray Buffalo MLA. Although Mike Ellis is the whip. Oh, right? is he? Yeah, okay. he is. Okay, yeah, okay, Mike just... Ellis is the whip, okay. Um Fort McMurray would Buffalo MLA Tanny Yao. In fact, Fort McMurray is totally left out mm-hmm. of, of cabinet, as is Lethbridge. Um, uh, and Airdrie East MLA Angela Pitt, um, though her appointment probably would have made 14, 14 uh, Calgary area M- MLAs in cabinet. So um, some of it was sort of the geographical observations of, of a leader probably a little bit. I don't know. I don't think you don't so. Think so no, I don't. You know, it's funny because when 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 you're trying to predict a cabinet, you have this like list of kind of criteria that that you kind of assume most Paul, most premiers will work off of, but they weigh it differently, right? Mm. So obviously, regional representation is important, but obviously, it wasn't as important in this case because there's such a heavy representation from Calgary. This is a Calgary cabinet. Well, I think it's worth pointing out there is. Significant diversity in other senses. So someone pointed out that the cabinet has speaks 13 different languages. Mm-hmm. The average age is somewhere around 40. There are three South Asian cabinet ministers. I believe Canada's first cabinet minister of Nigerian descent. That's Casey Madhu. So 
you know, diversity has many forms. And I, you know, from my silence over here, I will point out that this this cabinet does did and does achieve diversity in some ways, maybe not the traditional ways. Yeah. What do you think of uh, of the minister for red tape reduction? I guess it, it was a campaign promise. <laughs> it, it was a campaign promise. You know, Alberta has had this before. So Grant Hunter, the MLA for Tabor Warner, was appointed as the minister. Actually, on, on cabinet day, he was appointed as minister of red tape. And then they figured out they needed to change the name because they forgot about red tape reduction. Everything is branding, guys. Yeah. So they uh, so Minister of Red Tape Reduction. Um, I've written about this before, but in this isn't the first time we've had a minister responsible for this type of portfolio. So in November 2004, Premier Ralph Klein appointed Innisfail, then Innisfail Sylvan Lake MLA, Luke Ouellette, as Alberta's first minister of restructuring and government efficiency, which was then given the name Ministry of Rage. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 obvious, the, the jokes are obviously right themselves. It's a government department created to get rid of bureaucracy. It's a bureaucracy yeah. t- to the point. A, a, a bureaucracy created to get rid of bureaucracy. Twitter was the, all over this. Yeah, the challenge with that they had, and it'll be interesting to see how they approach this, how the UCP approaches this, is they couldn't really define what the Ministry of Restructuring and Government Efficiency actually did, and that was the big problem. It was like a big, I think it was a campaign promise. Um, So aside from some responsibilities related to the supernet that were previously already handled by another another government department, um, the minister himself couldn't couldn't actually really answer what his department was actually doing. I mean, I I suppose he was being paid a cabinet minister-level salary, Um, but it wasn't really clear. Uh, and then by December of the following year, in 2006, the, uh, the Willette was appointed as Minister of Infrastructure and Transport, and the department was dissolved. And I think that the, the supernet responsibilities went back to Service Alberta at that point. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. I think, I think that with this government, they probably have a better idea of what they want or what, you know, in terms of what they're going for, in terms of, of eliminating red tape, as they call it. Um, but I guess we'll see what actually what that actually means in the coming months. Was there much uproar about the status of women being lumped in with culture and multiculturalism? I, I wasn't paying very close attention to it. I mean, other than from the left. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of people were surprised that the status of women, like th- that it survived yeah. as an actual like component of a ministry. Um, I mean, it was always a service or status of women was always kind of under the NDP. It was always a, an assignment assigned to a cabinet minister who also had an actual actually had a another. I don't want to say an actual, but an actual government department mm-hmm. uh, assigned to them in terms of responsibility. So whether it's I think it was Service Alberta was one of them. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm surprised that it actually survived. So that's good. We'll see. We'll see what internal changes go through, um, get implemented. The Dave Berta Podcast is also made possible in part thanks to ATB Financial. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about ATB Prosper. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. You can start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions to your portfolio of as little as $25. 
To find out more about how you can get started for that rainy day or retirement savings, visit atbprosper.com. So the government has existed now since, what was it, Wednesday? Yep. Um, what are your observations on the first few days, and what have you seen so far? Well, I mean, first of all, they held their, they, well, they appointed a cabinet, they held their first cabinet meeting, and, and in the cabinet meeting, they proclaimed Bill 12, which was the... Uh, Turn off the taps legislation. Well, yeah, protecting Canadian economic prosperity, or, or whatever whatever the name was that they gave it, and this was a bill that was passed by the NDP last year, but never and and received royal assent, but it was never actually proclaimed into law. And yeah, it's the turn off the taps bill, essentially to put pressure on. The idea would be to put pressure on British Columbia by slowing the the transport of uh, of oil and gas uh, to British Columbia. Now, the NDP never proclaimed it because it was pretty clear, or it, it, there was a pretty clear understanding that this that actually using this bill or proclaiming it into law would be unconstitutional, or at least um, uh, be the target of a of a or at least elicit the response from the British Columbia government. It of, might invite a challenge. In, invite a challenge, yeah. yeah. And and uh, BC Attorney General David Eby was clear when the NDP passed it in Alberta that BC's the BC government lawyers would be um, would be challenging it in court as unconstitutional right away. And he said the same this week. And I believe lawyers from British Columbia are actually. Uh, are preparing to, or if not have issued a, or launched a, a challenge of it, al- of it already. Now, Jason Kenney has said that they're not ready. They proclaimed it, but they're not. He said that his government isn't ready to actually use it. So it'll be interesting to see whether whether they actually do try to use it and what actually that what that actually looks like. Why Why do you think he would do that? Why proclaim it and just have it there? Is it just like I think it's, it's like a, waving it's a, a gun around? Yeah, no, I think it's a big stick you can wave around. Yeah. Um, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, the NDP said we have this big stick, and Kenny's essentially saying I have this big stick, and and I'm I'm one step closer to using it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. So I don't know what I, I don't know what uh, whether they're actually going to implement that or w- what that actually looks like. Um, I don't know. I mean, in terms, I guess well, one of the things we have to wait and see is whether whether the federal government meets the requirements of the federal that the federal court of appeal put in when they delayed the construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Minister Sohi um, was saying, I think he was tweeting something about how, or there's news that a pipeline decision is coming by June. And, you know, Rachel Notley said the same thing in some remarks last week to um, the Alberta Federation of Labor, I think it was, or a group of, of unionists. Um, so this this is happening one way or another, we're going to hear something in the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a decision that's that's going to be made. It's likely going to. I would. I would. There's been talk about Trudeau maybe not not approve the Trudeau government not not approving it. Uh, but I think that's. I find that hard to believe after they spent 4.7 billion dollars buying the pipeline that mm-hmm. they all of a sudden wouldn't approve it. Well, that would be pure politics. Well, yeah, to me anyway. And I mean, the whole thing is a. The whole thing would be just a bad decision. Yeah. Like, I mean, going through the process of spending billions of dollars of taxpayers' funds to buy it and then to decide to not to build it. Like, I think that's the... That, that's the, the next nail in the coffin for the Trudeau government. I guess. <laughs> Though at this point, it might be the Andrew Scheer conservatives who approve it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what about uh, Bill C-69? So this is something that the Senate was holding hearings for in Edmonton, and they've been doing this across Canada, which is the... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the is it the tanker... The the maritime traffic one or is no, that a different? No, one? that's Bill C sixty eight. 
Okay. So there are two bills. There's Bill 668, C68, which is which which would limit certain tanker traffic in certain areas off the coast of British Columbia. Like northern BC. Yeah. 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 And then there's Bill C69, which would increase um, environmental assessment requirements and consultation requirements, um, like First Nations requirement uh, requirements to consult with First Nations around major energy infrastructure projects. Right. Now, Bill C69 is kind of a response to the uh, the Federal Court of Appeals uh, ruling against Trans Mountain and, and the issues that 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 was fa- that were faced there. Now, what if, what I find interesting is that in Alberta, it's be, it's been dubbed the the No More Pipelines Act, right? And that's what Jason Kenney's called it. That's what I think the, the CAP has called it. It's Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. They've been ca- campaigning against it. Um, so the, their line has been that if this bill passes, no major piece of energy infrastructure will ever get passed again. We'll ever, we'll ever be able to get built again. But it's funny because on the other side of the argument, Elizabeth May, leader of the Green Party, MP for Saanich Gulf Islands, that also opposes the bill because she said it doesn't go far enough. So, <laughs> wow. So, uh, I think there's a there's politicking going on quite a bit of politicking going on on, on B, Bill C-69. But Kenny and Energy Minister San- Sonia Savage, uh, who was elected in Calgary Northwest, uh, were off uh, very quickly after the next day. Uh, yeah, to after, Ottawa. After this, the cabinet swearing in, heading off to Ottawa to to uh, to talk to the committee. Like they must have done a swearing in, a meeting, and then gotten on a plane or something like that. Um, so not only did uh, they speak before this hearing, but uh, Jason Kenney also met with Prime Minister Trudeau, and some of the photos that came out of that meeting were pretty funny. Yeah, I think I think the the textbook uh, uh, instructions for premiers meeting with the prime minister is when he reach when the prime minister reaches to shake your hand, you wait three seconds for the Canadian <laughs> press photographer to get the photo of you glaring and holding your hands uh, by your side. <laughs> And then you shake the prime minister's hands. Yeah, so there's the photo that was circulated around of, of Trudeau, you know, uh, uh, holding out his hand to shake Jason Kenney's hand, and Kenny kind of just looking at his look, hand. Yeah, like looking uh, down at his yeah, hand. Yeah, and then of course there's, the, there's that was the photo that was taken and circulated, and then of course there's the other photo that was th- taken three seconds later of him shaking the yeah. hand. The s- similar thing happened with Rachel Notley when after she became premier, is or I guess after Trudeau became prime minister because Rachel Notley was already premier. Uh, there was a similar photo of Notley kind of like looking down at Trudeau's hand. <laughs> Yeah, then, well, it's like uh, all those photos of like Trump meeting with President Obama. Yeah, they're 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 looking at each other like they're they're making strange, and then they do they do the handshake. It's this yeah. is like a trope in it is political photography. Well, yeah, and there was the one with um the the famous one with Obama and the Danish Prime Minister. Do you I remember? Don't I, I don't know if I remember. Okay, that. I think this might have been from Nelson Mandela's funeral or something. It was from from some big event where there were a whole bunch of international world leaders, and it was Michelle Obama, and there was like stadium seating. It was Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, and then I think it was the Prime Minister of Denmark or the Prime Minister of Norway. Um, she was sitting next to Barack Obama, and, and the way the photo looked, it looked like he was flirting, trying to flirt with the Prime Minister De- of Denmark. I do and then that. Michelle Obama had like a, you know, rolling her eyes or like really <laughs> disapproving look. So that was the one photo that circulated. But then the photographer released the the rest of the series, and I guess that was like that was a split second photo. The rest of them, they were like joking around the entire time yeah. and, and all friendly and. Yeah. So well, and so what's interesting about you know Jason Kenney uh, speaking to the press about these meetings that he had, he, you know, he met with um, former Premier Rachel Notley before mm-hmm. he appointed his cabinet and was sworn in and all that stuff. The language that's coming out of those meetings is is typical to me political. It was a good meeting. 
you know, I don't, I can't remember the exact words, not cordial, but mm -hmm. like we, we've made some progress on some issues. We've stated, like, it's not really pugilistic yet. Mm -hmm. um, That's coming. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> but it just, it goes to show you like Premier Kenny knows how to play this game. Yeah. You know, so he's going to make nice publicly. And I, I'm, I'm curious to know when the gloves come off. I, I, th I suspect if things don't go Alberta's way with a pipeline announcement or exactly Alberta's way with a pipeline announcement, then it'll be, you know, all bets are off and nice Premier Kenny goes away. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think nice Premier Kenny sticks around for much longer, depending on, on that file, depending on, on, on regardless of which way it goes. I think that that you're going to see um, Jason Kenny outwardly campaigning against Trudeau. Mm -hmm. um, very purposefully going, well, going into the into the fall election. I think he'll be traveling. You'll see a lot of Jason Kenney traveling not only around the province but around the country, um, essentially campaigning for uh, for Andrew Scheer. Well, and that's one of the people he met with while he was in Ottawa, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. And Andrew Scheer met with his leader, Jason Kenney. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Premier Doug Ford, which I don't think is a good look for anyone. No, no. Well, we 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 knew that uh, that uh, that Jason Kenney and and uh, and. Doug Ford get along have claimed to get along famously. I think Jason Kenney said that there there was a it was a bromance and they were finishing each other's sentences. So I like could say is gross. Uh, so we'll we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But on uh, uh, on the federal election front and on campaigning against the federal government on carbon ta on the carbon tax and climate change initiatives, um, I think we'll see them definitely in sync. It, I don't. The reason I don't think it's a good look isn't just because I I don't care for or respect Premier Doug Ford, but like given all the stuff that's happening in Ontario, do you really want to align yourself with someone who's making significant cuts? Um, I, I know, you know, Premier Kenny has, has hinted that that may be a thing that they do, but it just seems like, is that really the guy you want to be seen with this early in the game? I, I mean, don't, I, I don't sure, think it makes a difference already, in Alberta. You've already won the election. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference in Alberta. Um, Kenny won a massive majority. Yeah, they're they're in their honeymoon period, meeting with the Premier of Ontario. Um, even though he might be a despicable human being, gross human being, um, <laughs> I don't think that hurts Jason Kenny uh, at all. Do we know, by the way, when the next uh, Alberta legislative session begins? May twenty first. May twenty first. That's yep. coming up pretty quick. That's coming up very quick. Like yeah. right after the long weekend. Yep. We get down to business. Throw a speech from the throne, and then they're they're jumping right into it. But and no, we know there's not going to be a budget until uh, the fall. That's right. Yeah. So how does that work exactly? Well, the cabinet is able to issue um, – uh, they're able to, either able to – they can introduce supply bills, through the interim supply bills through the legislature. Mm -hmm. And you see that usually in, in, in most legislative sessions that, that don't have a budget, you usually see Bill 19 interim supply, and it's usually just – dedicating funds or extra funds to, to, another to departments because, you know, there's a fire in Fort McMurray or or there's some costs that, that need to be, you know, there's things that need to be balanced out yeah. um, or funding, extra funding that's needed in certain areas. Um, but the cabinet is also able to issue special, I think special warrants is what they're called. Um, when Peter Lougheed became premier in 1971, I don't think they tabled the budget till 1972. Oh, wow. So they essentially, they're saying, we want to take a look at the books. We want to Re refigure, restructure stuff. We're also new, so we want to take a look at what's going on, and uh, and in the in before going through the process of tabling a budget. And I don't think anybody expected the UCP government to table a budget within two weeks. Yeah, um, that's just not realistic. 
um, and it would probably be garbage. Um, so uh, that they're waiting until the fall isn't isn't too surprising. I think the NDP did something similar too. I think they waited until the fall to uh, when they were elected in in the in the May 2015 election. I think they waited until the fall to uh, to implement yeah. the budget. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So it's that point of the show where we open up the Dave Berta mailbag, and we've got a few questions here, some of which we've already answered, but we'll start with Adam Brown. Adam asks, thoughts on what the next four years of advanced ed could be like? So we've had a tuition freeze Mm -hmm. for a while, since the NDP began their mandate in 2015. Um, Do you think that holds? No, I don't. (laughs) No, I think tuition's going to be going up by a lot. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that uh, I think when you look at I think that the government is probably I mean they're going to look at lifting the tuition freeze. I think that's probably something certain, um, and I think we'll be looking at um, issues around mandatory fees and the universities looking at at implementing new fees yeah. uh, to students. Um, in, build in, more parking lots. That's the answer yeah, to funding universities. Build more parking lots. Oh my god. Um, I mean, it, with cutting red tape, I'm, when I went through looking at the UCP platform they mentioned they didn't really talk a lot about advanced education i think if i were the big universities or for the if i were the universities or colleges i would be worried about funding issues uh over the next few years and what that looks like under this government whether whether they're going to be cuts or whether you're going to be getting just zero increases across the board yeah um because i think both of those are likely maybe one more likely than the other cuts are probably more likely than the other um where where advanced education is mentioned, they talk about they mention it in cutting red tape, whatever that means. Um, I think that probably has to do with research and development, uh, corporatization of research and development. I think that's probably where the UCP is going. They talked about um, focusing on technical schools, focusing on trades, um, which probably isn't great news for the universities. Um, there's talk about recruiting more foreign students to universe to Alberta universities and Alberta colleges. That means more money yeah. for the, for the universities yeah. um, because they have to pay the full, full international free. student tuition. Um, but one of the interesting ones, and this is kind of something that comes up, has been coming up in conservative circles um, for the past couple of years is free speech. You know, there's a point in the, in the UCP platform about, um, enshrine something about enshrining free speech at, universities um and they reference the chicago university of chicago doctrine or the university of chicago policy that was implemented that is basically uh yeah well so we'll have to see what what exactly that means i mean i don't know if it yeah we'll see Hmm, interesting our next question from peter fortna he's got two of them the first one will there be repercussions for jason kenney's seeming backtrack on topics such as the 100 megaton carbon cap or will things progress as usual? Progress as usual. It's this is something that happens every time there's an election. Yeah, no progress as usual. I don't think anything will change. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that there'll be any 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 repercussions for it. No. And his next question was, what advice would you give the NDP with regards to how to approach the recent P, uh, GSA walkout, student walkout? So that took place mm-hmm. uh, last Friday, on May third. Personally, I believe this is an exceptionally important issue, but I feel that if the party gets too involved. There is a risk of it being dismissed as political theater by opponents. If the students are leading it, let them lead it. Yeah. Support them. Support them for sure, but don't get in the way. Don't make it an NDP thing. In the same way that the kids from uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School in the United States Mm -hmm. began a movement protesting gun laws, Mm -hmm. 
I think I agree with you. Politicians should just stay the hell out mm-hmm. of the way. Mm-hmm. Support them for sure, but yeah. like, but don't you know? This is their thing. Let them lead it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Mooney asks, uh, or rather says, that she is interested in our thoughts about why LaGrange was made education minister and what impacts this could have on education in the province. Well, I think she was made, LaGrange was made education minister, first of all, because she is a school or was a Catholic school board trustee in Red Deer. She was the former her, or president of the Alberta Catholic School Board Trustee Association. Um, so she knows, she has experience in school board governance. She knows the education system. Uh, but I also think, I mean, it's, it's also pretty clear that she is a social conservative. Uh, she has been a, a vocal critic of gay-straight alliances. She's been a vocal critic, or she's the former, the former president of the, the Pro-Life Association in Red Deer. Um, so this is also rewarding part of Kenny's electoral coalition. Yeah. This is social conservatives are part of Kenny's electoral coalition, and she is a social conservative. I think that's that's a big part of it. It will probably dramatically change the government's position on private school funding. That And that will be interesting. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the big flashpoints uh, over the next few years. I mean, I think first the proclaiming of the, of the Education Act and the the impact that will have on, on students' abilities to start gay-straight alliances, uh, and then the implementation of charter schools and private schools, which is what the UCP has said they're going to do. And how th- what that looks like. That's very, it's a very Calgary thing. Hmm. Um, is it? Yeah. And it, it, so we don't really have the same situation in Edmonton. It'll be very interesting to see. I think there'll be a lot of conflict between the education minister and the big public school boards in this province. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. On the subject of GSA, someone asked me the other day, the other day why doesn't a school just start a GSA and then get everyone to join it? Everyone in the school. And then they just have to let every single parent know that all the par- all the kids at the school are part of a GSA. It's a great idea. Why not? Yeah, or just start a club and call it something else. Yeah. Well, I know they're not all, they're not all called GSAs, from what I understand. Yeah. Like they're called different things, but this is essentially the. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sorry. I know that that's not a solution to the problem. You shouldn't have to hide from that stuff. But anyway, uh, next question from Mick Farrell. Is there any precedent for the apparent conflict of interest currently facing the Attorney General? And what can we expect to see? Well, there's not a there's so the, the the question is in reference to Rachel Notley asking the and this is how I interpret it. Yeah, Rachel think- Rachel Notley came out this week and asked um, the government to appoint a special prosecutor to oversee the RCMP investigation into the UCP leadership race. There's an ongoing well number of investigations ongoing with the Elections Commissioner and the RCMP around money, which is, the, and, and where the funding for, for the Jeff Calloway's kamikaze campaign came from, that's the elections commissioner investigation. And then there's questions around fraud and the security of the membership list and, and privacy. And that's, from what I understand, what the RCMP are investigating in, or they might be investigating to both at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a fairly legitimate legitimate request on Rachel Notley's behalf to ask that, yeah, you know, Doug Schweitzer, who was a candidate in this leadership race, who during the leadership race raised questions and asked for the vote to be delayed because he had questions about the, about fraud and about uh, these types of issues that are being investigated. Um, I think it'd be legitimate for the government, probably a good thing for the government to appoint someone who could handle that. And then the, and then Doug Schweitzer now as attorney general and just minister of justice could step back from it. Um, I, I don't think I, I would be surprised if they do it. I don't think that they're well, they're going to. They've already said they would. They already said they're going to. I mean, yeah. I'll be, yeah. And I mean, in some ways, you know, not. I think it's a legitimate legitimate request. Notley is clearly clearly trying to draw a bit of a parallel to the Mueller investigation and special prosecutor down in the states. There's that is that is you know. Well, even the use of the the phrase 
special prosecutor or, or yes. independent, you know. Yeah. Do you, so, do you think this would have been, could this have been a different outcome or maybe a different conversation if it hadn't been the premier, the former premier who came out and made this request? Like if it had been, I don't know, a, a group of private citizens or some independent organization that maybe. said, we think this yeah. is a problem. Like maybe. it feels really political. Maybe. I mean, because it is political. Of course. Um, and I mean, this is the first thing that basically the first thing that Rachel Notley said when she, um, after the, uh, excuse me, the first thing she said after the election, um, there is some there is some precedent to this. Not about, um, not about leadership races, but about investigations into political parties. And I understand that because I tried to figure out what ex- like, what would a special prosecutor role be in Alberta, and it's different than in the United States, from what I understand. But there was this, in 1997. There was a special prosecutor with the, who was hired to handle issues around the or the investigation around theft and forgery charges against a former official in the Progressive Conservative Party. There was a uh, a lawyer who, um, or pardon me, not a lawyer. There was a Progressive Conservative uh, treasurer who was alleged, charged uh, after $20,000 disappeared from a constituency association. And the Tories appointed a special prosecutor because clearly it was very, it was too close to the government. And I don't know what the results were of that. I didn't, I just saw that there was a special prosecutor appointed. This goes back all the way to 1987. Hmm. So it's not like totally unprecedented. Um, I don't think that the Tories want to, or the UCP wants to put any more fuel on this. Yeah. They're going to try to snuff this out as, as much as they can. Which, I, don't, I don't think it's going away. I think that, that the investigations are continuing. Yeah, but they're they're going to kind of, they'll be hands off or mum about the, the whole thing mm-hmm. as much as they possibly can. Which brings us to our next question mm-hmm. from John Hanley. Has there ever been a time in Alberta history when a sitting MLA has been criminally charged? There have, well, there's been a number of cases where sitting MLAs, I'm so glad you asked this. <laughs> Dave uh, got to do some research. I did. And this is, this is, this is very interesting. So there's a number of number of times where MLAs, sitting MLAs have been charged, um, convicted is a totally different thing. Okay. So charged, I mean, more recently, Mike Allen, who was the former MLA for Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo, was charged with one count of hiring and agreeing to hire a prostitute. Right. Um, I believe that part of the charges were dropped and he agreed to, that was due to a trip to Minnesota uh, a few years ago. And from what I understand, he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor and paid a $500 fine. I think there were some issues that some of the charges were dropped. Um, Derek Fildebrandt and his, <laughs> uh, his hunting practices. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, th- said. and then in 2004, Mo Amory, uh, MLA for Cal- former MLA for Calgary East, whose son is now elected to the legislature in Calgary Cross, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mickey Amory. Uh, so Mo Amory was charged with providing false statements for the purposes of procuring a passport back in 2004. And I believe those charges were dropped. Um, so having an MLA charged with a criminal offense is not unheard of. That's actually happens every couple of years. <laughs> being convicted and being sent to jail is, is a, is a different thing. Um, so I'm going to bring you back. Children, sit around, <laughs> gather around. <laughs> sit gonna, on, uh, sit next to uncle Dave. Sit next got to uncle a story Dave. For you. I, I have a story. A story of the banker's toadies incident. Is this a so credit? This story? is a. So it's come straight out of this early social credit of era. Of course it is. 1937. So the banker's toadies incident. In 1937, the social credit government was having problems in trying to implement its monetary policies. And you can look up social credit monetary policies, the A plus B theorem. I won't get into that now. We'll have a special podcast where I uh, where we where I talk about that. 
Premier William Aberhart, who was frustrated over increasing newspaper criticism, attempted to enact legislation that would have forced newspapers to print rebuttals to stories that the government found objectionable. After this failed, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, the government devised a plan to produce literature to distribute among the populace of Alberta. Edson MLA and Social Credit Party Whip, Social Credit Caucus Whip, Joseph Unwin, and a government advisor by the name of George Powell, created what became known as the Banker's Toadies Leaflet. <laughs> the leaflet, produced as an official publication of the government of Alberta, keep that in mind, urged members of the public to, quote, exterminate prominent bankers and politicians who were standing in the way of the social credit monetary reforms. Among those listed were Senator William Griesbach, who was a former mayor of Edmonton, uh, and Conservative Party people, or con- and the, the and Conservative Party leader David Duggan at the time. Powell and Unwin were arrested and charged with libel and counseling murder. Their trial became known as the Bankers Toadies Trial. Unwin was convicted and sentenced to hard labor, though his sentence was later overturned on appeal. And I believe when he returned to the legislature, because he didn't resign as an MLA. So he was like, went to like, he was charged and convicted and like went to jail and had to, I don't know, break rocks or something, or they sent him to the mines. Uh, and, uh, and then when he came back as an MLA, uh, they had like a conga line and like a big party in the legislative assembly chamber celebrating his return. Yeah. This is crazy stuff. Well, then he got, he got, he got charged criminally for the publication of an official government of Alberta leaflet. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't any like. Then they, they, Legal they, they, check on things back then? <laughs> they seized 4,000 copies of this pamphlet. So I'm going to read you the pamphlet. Wow. Okay, the front of the pamphlet, the leaflet read as follows. My child, you should never say hard or unkind things about the banker's toadies. God made snakes, slugs, snails, and other creepy, crawly, treacherous, and poisonous things. Never, therefore, abuse them. Just exterminate them. And to prevent all evasion... Demand the result you want, $25 a month and a lower cost to live. And that was one of the promises the social credit money, social credit monetary policy was supposed to ever do. So let's get their social credit. They'd get $25 a month. Uh, the back of the pamphlet listed nine men identified as toadies. So besides Duggan and Greasebaugh, they were um, S.W. Field, who was a lawyer and the president of the People's League, which was an anti-social credit coalition of liberals and conservatives. H.A. Uh, Parley, who was a lawyer and president of the Liberals uh, Constituency Association in, in Edmonton. Uh, John Limburn, a lawyer and a former attorney general of Alberta. H.R. Milner, who was a lawyer and president of the Conservatives Constituency Association in Edmonton. Um, G.D. Hunt, pardon me, who was an investment broker. Uh, L.Y. Cairns, who was a lawyer and a provincial conservative activist and later became chancellor of the University of Alberta. Uh, and then uh, G.W. Oxier, who was a lawyer and secretary of the People's League. So, Jeez. yeah. So this was, anyway, pretty horrible stuff. Very, very um, characteristic of the uh, fascist mob that dominated the social credit government in the 1930s. And, and uh, yeah, anyway, it's horrible. But, yeah, so, the, so Unwin was charged and convicted and... Uh, and I think he continued on as an MLA. I'll have to double check that. I might be wrong, but uh, but they did. I I did read a news report from the 30s that when he when he returned to the legislature, they had like a conca line and a dance party for him. <laughs> yeah, and like the conservative <laughs> leader looked on disapprovingly because he was also in the legislature. The guy who like he called to murder. Yeah, totally that, nuts. That's insane. Yeah, 
Man, Alberta politics is strange. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's Uncle Dave's story time. <laughs> Dave, you can, you can look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, in honor of you and your love for trivia, on my first day at the ledge this week, I went down and ordered lunch at the cafeteria. And will you guess what I ordered? The Aberhart burger or a hamburger? A no. hamburger. Oh, a hamburger. Yes. Yeah, not the Aberhart burger per se. <laughs> Do they have the Aberhart? Burger? But the standard issue hamburger, and yeah. it was delicious. I did not table it okay to, to the library <laughs> but i am planning on going to see that one because apparently it's on display yeah it's on display it's you can walk in it's like not far from the it's like halfway like it's in the it's in there it's in a case that's, i will find it that's bizarre yeah post a photo of it if you can our last question from the mailbag uh, there's two actually from brett lambert the first one is what kind of political future do you see for the many ex-ndp mlas do you see any future in federal politics for some of these people what do you think dave yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few defeated NDP MLAs running for federal nominations this fall. I yeah. think that n- now that the provincial election is over, um, both the federal liberals and the federal NDP are going to start to re- nominate candidates um, for the running for, for the federal election in October. Uh, look at this face, guys. Yeah. I'm not saying much, but look at my face. Are, right aren't those like lambs to the slaughter? Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll run, maybe they'll run for um, federal liberal nominations. <laughs> Same answer. <laughs> Which would give them a. I'm not. Honor. I'm not going to say they have good chances of winning. That's a totally different thing. But I mean, but if, uh, if they've got the if they've got a taste of politics, uh, you know what we do yeah. know is that some of these politicians are gluttons for punishment. Well, it's interesting because the one place that they probably would have had a good shot would be Edmonton Griesbach, but all of the good candidates now, I would assume, are probably MLAs. Yeah. So what's going to happen? There? Well, yeah, I should note Janice Irwin. Guest who was former written. part of our team. Yeah, she was on a guest yeah, yeah. guest co-host on the podcast. Man, what a and, what uh, an amazing story! Yeah. She won her seat, and then she won like a prize in a lottery. Yeah, so she was elected as the MLA for Highlands Norwood, which is my M- my MLA. I'm, I happily voted for Janice Irwin. I That's think she's great. fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then like. The next day, she or the next couple of days, she won like a hundred thousand dollars in the lotto. Yeah, like that's uh good for her. That's great. Yeah, great. You know, good for you, Janice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last question uh, for the show today from Brett Lambert also is: uh, Can Kenny, can Jason Kenny keep discipline among his caucus and rein in potential divisions? Rachel Notley was very good at this. Do you think that that Premier Kenny is as astute? Managing a large caucus, a large caucus in a majority government, can all, is always challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, I think at least in in the in the short term, I think that uh, well, I think I, th- I think that the, the UCP government, UCP caucus, the UCP government will be very centralized in terms of control. And I think you can look back to I mean, you can look at Rachel Notley, the NDP, and Rachel Notley as as kind of a template for that. You can look to Stephen Harper's Conservative government in Ottawa. Yeah, um, they'll be. I think that they'll they'll at least in the first couple of years they'll probably do a good job trying to manage um, the bozo eruptions. Manage the bozo eruptions. I mean, we'll see if if things get heated and 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 debates get really contentious and and their internal issues. Um, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll have to see. But I think in the short term, I don't expect we'll see any big divisions in the caucus this session in this in this in the summer. It it'll be interesting to see in when you go back to previous conservative caucuses and. Uh, I mean, Jason Kenney likes to talk a lot about Ralph Klein, and in Klein's caucus, they had this group of six uh, six um, right wing, fisc- very fiscally conservative MLAs. They deep called six. yeah, called themselves the Deep Six. Yeah, and they were six backbenchers who I don't know they'd wear all the same tie, same oh, color tie, on including the, Ed Stelmack, including Ed Stelmack, including 
I think Lyle Oberg was on that list. Um, um, interesting. Deep Six uh, not only refers to a depth of six fathoms, but when something gets deep sixed, it usually means it gets destroyed. Well, yeah, they wanted to destroy government. <laughs> they, they, they wanted to cut government. That was the point. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for uh, submitting your questions. Uh, we, we try to answer as many of these as we can each show, so keep them coming. I'm going to submit some from now on. Yeah. For sure. From from. Brett Bra- Harkman. <laughs> Bra- Brian Harkman. Yeah. <laughs> High and Rastman. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us put the show together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta or at the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Ryan, it's not going to be the same here without you, but we really do want to wish you the very best in your new role with the Minister of Community and Social Services. Good luck. Do us proud, sir. Yeah, good good luck. Thanks for, thanks for everything, Ryan. Good luck and Godspeed. Well, thank you. So long, everyone, and thanks for listening. <laughs>